Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 225, for the 31st of December, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here for a special New Year's Eve edition Chat Chat with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Long time, no podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we've kind of done bookends this month. I was looking up the last Chat Chat was on December 1st, so we did the 1st and the 31st, but uh, it's a great way to, I guess do a quick catch up about what's happening uh, important here in December, and then also kind of look back over the year and see what were the most impactful stories this year and, uh, and, and perhaps uh, gaze into our crystal ball a little bit based on those. Uh, first off, I just wanted to cover the, the Flash update that came out a couple days ago. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I've, I've successfully removed Flash from all the computers I use now, and I'm quite happily Flash-free. But I guess, depending on your addiction to cat videos and other things, you may still have Flash in your browser. And if you do, be sure to get that update. Uh, it was quite a large one, and my understanding was uh, it was pushed forward to be released because Huawei uh, actually detected some attacks against them in the wild against some of these zero days. So Yes, uh, CVE 2015-8651, I think, is the grandiose number of the vulnerability that was apparently in some kind of targeted attacks. Don't be put off by the fact that it says APSB, the Adobe Security Bulletin 16-01. It's sort of rounded up to the nearest month, uh, which is next year, but it did come out since Christmas. So if you followed the Naked Security Advent tips, where we said, amongst other things, get all your updates, even for your brand new devices you got under the Christmas tree on the 25th, even if you did that, uh, unfortunately, it's back to the grindstone for updates, because this one came out uh, on the 28th. Very, very necessary, given that was effectively a a zero-day attack going on there. Uh, you, you did mention it was CVE like 8651 or something. I think it's interesting that we didn't make it to the five digit mark yet. I know there was concerns at the uh, Common Vulnerabilities uh, Project about uh, whether we needed five digits or not. And uh, fortunately, we made it through 2015 with only four. CVE 10K. <laughs> yeah, sadly, I'm sure in 2016, we may uh, we may see that. When I think back through the year uh, about, I guess, what caught the public's attention the most, it's probably uh, car hacking, or as some people have termed it, uh, stunt hacking. <laughs> oh, yes. Charlie Miller and others were you know, quite famous for not just hacking a Jeep. There were hacks against uh, Tesla's automobiles. There was the f- fraudulent firmware in the Volkswagens. There was you know, all these, lots of things focusing on cars, but... I'm I'm kind of thinking maybe it's just because of the number of computers we embed in cars that this was sort of inevitable. And we're embedding computers in everything. You know, over the holidays, I've been playing with uh, smart light bulbs and baby monitors and all these types of things. But uh, it seems like everything's getting an IP address now. And, and is this a good idea? Yes, every time we talk about the so-called Internet of Things on the chat chat, we get rather woeful tones in our voices, don't we? It does seem that security really does just take second place, if it's on the list at all. Hey, it's only a kettle. What's the worst thing that can happen? Someone can switch it on when there's no water in, and it's got a thermal cutout. It'll turn off anyway. Except that, you know, like in the iKettle story we wrote about earlier this year, the kettle turns out to be a weak point that lets someone outside your house dump your WPA2 key, so you can then get onto your network. So that's the wrong way of thinking to say, well, it doesn't matter if this device gets hacked because it's not a big deal on its own. The problem is that it may be the key to a bigger, more important part of your network. 
even though no one ever thought of it that way to start with. All these things to me are just more things that need to be managed and updated. And that's really what frightens me because crypto standards, for example, we, we we're seeing SHA-1 being escorted out the back door and not being allowed to be used for TLS certificates for securing websites and identities anymore because uh, it's deprecated, right? It, it's getting too easy to break it or create a collision. How do I update and tell all my you know devices and uh, things don't use SHA-1 if I can't update? I know how to do it. You tell that in and... Uh remove the SHA-1 code. Yes, you just admin, admin, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy irony, isn't it, that with at least some of these IoT devices, you can't have them on a separate network because part of the functionality requires there to be effectively no router or firewall in the way. Maybe they want to be on the same Ethernet segment, for example. But at the same time, part of their functionality relies on them being able to talk to the cloud. So they sort of, they have to be on your LAN along with your trusted devices and they have to be able to call home to the internet to get data but apparently in many cases very irregular or non-existent updates it's almost as though you've got the worst of both worlds and if we think that you know a company like google with the the world's biggest mobile phone platform android still having trouble getting all its partners to be on the on a regular update cycle. If we can't do that in the mobile phone market, as you say, what hope have we got in the Barbie doll market? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, these smart light bulbs, for example, uh, I, when I control from my Android, rely on the internet, right? I, I can't turn my lamp on and off without connecting <laughs> to the internet, which is just pretty absurd. Uh, these, yeah, I think the Internet of Things is going to continue to be a hot topic. And, and if it took uh, hacking some cars to bring it to our attention, we need to not think that this is just about cars. It is about those smart kettles. It is about those dolls. It is about those light bulbs. All of those things present different risks that we may not have fully considered. I'd like to repeat your and my redefinition of the IoT to say it's a network of small computers built down to a price where security often takes second place, if that. We really have to change that way of thinking. The size of the computer does not affect the quantity of the breach it could cause if you're not careful. Yeah, pre precisely. And, and uh, you, you know, you, you could call 2015, I guess, the year of the data breach, but it, it wouldn't really be fair or accurate, uh, I, I don't think, because we don't have good ways of measuring these things. I personally kind of lost count when we got into the billion range uh, of lost records this year. But of course, whether it's 1 billion or 3 billion or 10 billion, uh, what's more important is obviously to get to those numbers. It was multiple things. And that's what I find quite concerning when I start hearing about the number of healthcare companies that were compromised and the number of hotel chains that were compromised. And then you combine that with government agencies that were compromised, internet service providers that were compromised, uh, and everything on down to uh, philandering dating sites that were compromised. That's a heck of a lot of data. And in fact, the combination of all of that is a lot scarier than any given one of them, isn't it? I agree, Chester. I think the problem is that it's not just any one industry sector. As you say, there's public service in there, there are hotel chains in there, retail in there. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap in many of the breaches. Your name's the same in everyone, your date of birth, your email address, your home address, your phone number, and so forth. But when you think of how many different breaches will have a little bit more data than the last one, there's a giant bucket that if you do a huge database of join across all of those breaches, 
because you're a crook or a miscreant who's been collecting all that stuff over the years when it was dumped publicly, you're actually ending up with an enormous amount of data about potentially everybody. Back to your point about your name being the same everywhere or your birth date being the same everywhere. Uh, at least in my case, uh, my name certainly is generally the same everywhere, but uh, not my birth date. And, and you know, I, I always have amusement. In fact, tomorrow morning, uh, January 1st, 2016, I have to keep reminding myself of the new year. I'll get, uh, you know, about 150 things in my LinkedIn email telling me that it's the birth date of someone I know on LinkedIn because I know a lot of security professionals and it turns out many of them are born on January 1st, coincidentally. Hey, you know, if you choose the 29th of February you greatly minimize the amount of birthday spam you get because it only happens once every four years. <laughs> but, you know, the, the point being uh, places where you don't necessarily need to be honest, maybe it may be uh, to your benefit not to be honest. And whether that's signing up for the frequent shopper card or the buy 12 cups of coffee, get one free, or, or you know, in, in that case, uh, you know, the, the coffee shop I go to gives me a free coffee on my birth date. It turns out I get a free coffee on the wrong day of the year, right? There's no harm done to them. There's no harm done to me. I, I don't really feel the need to put another piece of data into that puzzle. And in fact, it may even thwart um, these data collection methods of combining all this database information. And, you know, that personally, again, I don't use my real postal code for either my office or my home uh, for anything where I'm not actually expecting to receive a physical mailing. I don't really see the need to share that information. Agreed. I'm not suggesting you lie to your government or uh, in any kind of legal documentation, but certainly for a lot of these more convenience type things, companies are over asking. And so I think it's more than fair to maybe give something close to reality, but maybe not the entire truth just to protect yourself. Just one word of warning there, though, Chester, if you are going to make up a record like that, particularly where it involves creating some kind of online web account as part of what you're doing, be sure to record the version of the truth, if you like, that you used for each site. Uh, maybe if you've got a password manager, stick that data in there, because you could find that if you ultimately want to cancel that account, or you think it may have been hacked and you want to do some kind of account recovery, you may well be required to produce that information, in which case the alleged security of it could work against you if you don't know what it is, particularly if you decide, I want to close that account, and suddenly you can't. Yeah, that's that's really good advice, Duck. And I, I personally keep all that information in a GPG encrypted file on my computer that I that I synchronize through my my own cloud. Um, but uh, I know a lot of folks. Uh, if you encrypt the file or protect the file appropriately, you know you can stick that in your Dropbox or you can put it in a cloud storage service so that you can access it when you need to. Uh, lastly, I I I, I kind of want to say good and bad things to, to wrap things up. I was trying to end on a little bit of a positive note, and I was, I was super happy that we finally got to October of 2015, which is the official uh, time when the United States technically adopted chip cards. And uh, I have to keep reminding myself not to say chip and pin because no pin. most American cards <laughs> uh, are chip and signature cards. But the adoption of the chip itself is the important piece here, of course. Um, the, the signature isn't a very good anti-fraud mechanism, but the chip itself is because it's very difficult to clone. And that's really what we're trying to get at here is that Absolutely. malware on computers at retailers is no longer able to access all of the details needed in order for someone else to replicate a transaction. And by taking the information that's uh, in computer's memory when processing a chip, it's not enough information to make a new card. 
and as you found in your many Anatomy of Attack demos, most of the card readers were simply implemented as keyboards, weren't they? So you swiped the card, and it simply typed the characters, as it were, off the mag stripe into the computer, unencrypted. That doesn't happen with the chip type transaction, where the raw data in the chip is not shared with the point-of-sale computer. Therefore, RAM scraping malware does not have the same opportunity that it does with the conventional magstripe. So, praise the Lord that we got there eventually in the US. I guess the problem is, we're actually not there yet, are we? Because if you do swipe your card, it will still work. Well, and and worse than that, uh, even establishments that have uh, chip readers uh, largely haven't implemented them, even though we're past the time where nearly everyone has a chip card. Um, I, I, I saw some stats online suggesting that... Uh, Something like 30% of Americans have at least one chip card in their wallet or purse these days. All major banks are only issuing chip cards moving forward. Um, So everybody will have the cards, but that doesn't mean the merchants necessarily accept them. And uh, I I was on holiday earlier this month in Hawaii, which was fantastic. But in my hundreds of purchases I made over the course of a week, I think two times I was successfully able to use the chip – Probably another dozen times I noticed that the merchant had machines that could take chips that either had pieces of tape over the chip reader saying swipe uh, on the side or uh, they had dummy cards stuck in them so you couldn't stick your card in or the uh, person at the retailer when I tried to stick the chip in looked at me like I was a space alien and yelled at me that, 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 that what am I doing sticking my card in the machine? No, I'm supposed to slide it through the little slot on the side. There's a lot of work to be done yet, but once the United States has wide-scale adoption of chips, they intend on removing the stripe from the back of the cards they issue uh, because that's the primary motivation for having them in many countries these days is just to be compatible with America. So if if someone offers you the choice, hey, do you want to use the chip or use the swipe, put the chip in the reader, even though technically you can argue it's possible to get a jury-rigged reader, it's a much, much bigger ask for any crook or any crooked merchant than adding a skimming device to the, uh, to the swipe reader. Yeah, my, my personal advice for people is to tap first, chip second, stripe last. Tap to pay cards in most jurisdictions are a liability shift away from the consumer. So if you tap to pay, you don't have any liability for those transactions if there were fraud. So that's a a nice advantage as a consumer. Um, Second, of course, use that cryptographic chip that you slide into the machine because it's very difficult to replicate or steal. And then lastly, the least secure method of payment, of course, is still those stripes on the back of the card. And uh, I'm to the point here in Canada now that if a a merchant wants to uh, swipe my card, uh, I either go to another merchant or I use cash. Yep, I'm the same. I just figure it's so easy to get skimmed from that mag stripe. Why let anyone near it? Of course, that advice may not apply in every country in the world. So if you are a Chat Chat listener, be sure to check whether chip and pin in your country changes your liability, whether your bank says, oh, well, that makes us not liable because obviously it's your fault if something goes wrong. If in doubt, take advice about the differences in liability in your jurisdiction and with your bank. Or use bitcoins. <laughs> Those are, that's so old school, Chester. 
You gotta go Doge, man. <laughs> so on that note, I'm going to conclude Software Security Chat Chat 225, the last Chat Chat of 2015. Next year, as it was this year, the best place for all your security news is nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And uh, don't forget uh, that uh, Sophos Home is available for free as well at home.sophos.com if you want to provide the gift of antivirus to your friends or family. And uh, until next time, stay secure.